Favorite childhood toy. So I love Frisbee. I love playing Frisbee. Um, even though I vividly remember getting a Frisbee for my birthday and going outside and promptly getting hit with it in the face and my nose bleeding, uh, I overcame that pain and uh, came to love Frisbee. So uh, my favorite candy bar right now is called a lunch bar and uh, they don't sell them in the United States. Um, I found my first one when I was in Africa and every time I go back I buy as many as I possibly can. So a lunch bar would be like a cross between a Kit Kat, a, a Baby Ruth, and a Snickers. Yeah, they're really good. You can eat them for lunch. Oh yeah, so uh, my dad and my brother and I um, and a couple other guys go fishing every summer in northern Minnesota. So I caught a nine and a half pound walleye, which sets the record for the biggest fish anybody in our group has ever caught over the course of 30 plus years. There was a time in my life when um, I was like first or second grade and I was losing teeth. And my teeth actually grew in, in a way that the space in my teeth made the Batman symbol. So this is a picture of my family. Uh, there's me, and then my wife, Mary, and then our four kids, Hannah, Lydia, and Mia, who are identical twins, and then Dominic. All right, all right. Well, for better or for worse, you know a little bit more about me, and especially how my teeth grew uh, when I was a kid. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting into God's word with you this morning, whether you're here in the West Auditorium, or you're worshiping in the East Auditorium, or you're, you're joining us online, or gathering somewhere here in the community, uh, it's going to be good. And uh, we are, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. So Matthew chapter 10, if you want to turn there, we'll be kind of making our way through uh, the Bible up, up to that point. So we'll get there in a few minutes. But as you turn to Matthew chapter 10, I'd like to tell you about an experience that I had in high school playing soccer. See, when I was in high school, really, really enjoyed playing soccer. And uh, one summer, our high school youth group went to a Christing Youth Teen Conference. So we go to this, this uh, college campus, I can't even tell you where, but went to this college campus and, and joined hundreds of high school students from around the, uh, around the Midwest. And the way that the schedule worked was in the morning, we had classes, and then in the evening, we had main sessions. And so the afternoon was free time. Afternoon's free time. And so I had kind of gotten my hopes up going into uh, the CIY conference that, you know, maybe we'll be able to get like a game of pickup soccer going or something. You know, maybe we'll play soccer. In fact, I think I was a pretty big dork in high school. I think I even took like my soccer cleats and my favorite ball with me to CIY in hopes that we'd be able to play. Well, sure enough, one afternoon my dream came true. And as I wandered down to the soccer field, um, <clears throat> I saw that there were 11 or 12 other people there. And so I thought, awesome, this is going to be great. We get to play soccer. Now, since there were only a few of us, we decided uh, we're just going to do a short field. Uh, let's say short field, no goalies. And, and so let's say out of bounds is going to be right there. And uh, that line over there will be out of bounds. And uh, so for the goal on this side, let's say the goal, because we don't want it to be, you know, the full size goal. So let's just say it's going to be between the post and the bleachers. And, and down here, let's say it's between the post and, and right there. Okay, awesome. Let's play. And I need to be honest and tell you, 
I was on fire that afternoon. I was unstoppable. I had like, like seven goals. I remember one goal in particular where the other team was trying to cross the ball from one side of the field to the other. And suddenly I came flying through the air like in this kind of ninja kick thing. I promise it looked better in real life. And I, I stole the ball. I was in such a good position. The other team didn't even try to stop me. And so I just had the whole field to myself. I dribbled down, kind of strutted my stuff a little bit, just kicked the ball nice and easy into the goal, ran back. I was super excited. We got to the end of the game, and I thought, awesome, we crushed the other team. Or so I thought. Because a guy from the other team came up to me and said, hey, man, good game. Dude, you were so close so many times. And I was like, so close? What do you mean? I had like seven goals. He said, no, the goal was between the post and the trash can. It's like, what? I thought the goal was between the post and the bleachers. Are you trying to tell me this entire time I've been aiming at the wrong goal? And I mean, two thoughts go through my mind. First of all, why didn't anybody tell me while we're playing? You know, this, this dork kicking it out of bounds every time. And, and what about when that time that I had that breakaway and I dribbled the ball down and strutted myself and then kicked it out of bounds? Well, I would propose that for many of us, for many of us, when it comes to our faith, that we are aiming at the wrong goal. We are aiming at the wrong goal of trying to be Christians. Now, before you boo me off the stage, before you, you know, go and, and egg my house, let me, let me explain, let me explain. And I need to explain in part with, uh, with a preface that today I want to talk to church people. I want to talk to church people. And so, um, however, if you're, if you're not a church people, or, or maybe you used to be a church people, or maybe you're just not sure how you feel about church, today, hopefully, we'll answer some questions, and you'll find it interesting. You see, becoming a Christian is easy. Becoming a Christian is easy. It costs us virtually nothing. It costs us nothing because Jesus paid it all. Jesus, he, he came and he lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. He paid the penalty. He paid the cost that we deserve to pay. And so because Jesus paid it all, there's not much that we have to do. Thank, thank you, Jesus, for, for paying it all. And so what does it mean? What, what does it take for me to be a Christian? I mean, all, all, all we have to do is believe in Jesus, right? But... But when we look at the Bible, and, and, and you guys know this, but when, when we look at the Bible, we see language about disciples. Jesus says, come and be my disciples. Jesus says to his disciples, go and make more disciples. And so what is a disciple? Well, the disciple is someone who follows Jesus. And so how do we do this? How, how do we reconcile these two terms? How do, how do we reconcile Christian and disciple? I mean, Aren't they the same thing? Isn't a Christian a disciple? Isn't a disciple a Christian? Well, not exactly. You see, the, the word, the, the term, the label Christian doesn't show up until about halfway through the book of Acts. So Jesus came, as I said, he, he lived, he died, he came back to life, and then he sent his disciples, his followers out to make more disciples. And so we see uh, in the book of Acts that these, these disciples, as, as people are coming to, to faith, as they're coming to follow Jesus, that there begin to be these little groups, these little kind of communities that pop up in different cities. And one of those cities, as we read in, uh, in Acts chapter 11, was a city called Antioch. 
And so what happened was, is, is you have these, these followers of Jesus, these disciples that, that begin to appear and, and everybody else in the community is kind of like confused. Like, what, who are those people? Like, what, what, what do we even call them? And so they said, well, since they follow Christ, let's just call them Christ ones. Let's just call them Christians. And I guess in Antioch, the name stuck because in two other occasions, so we're talking about three times total in the entire Bible, we see the word Christians, Christian. And in in all three of those instances, it's descriptive. It's people on the outside looking at those people saying, those people are Christians. It's never prescriptive. It, it never says, this is how a Christian should live. This is what a Christian does. This is what a Christian's life looks like. Jesus never uses the word Christian, ever. Jesus uses the language of disciples and, and followers. In fact, those two words, disciple and follower, are used more than 300 times in the Bible. I think it's, it's somewhere like 380 times you either see the word follower or disciple. I would say that the term, the label Christian has a pretty murky start in history and it's only grown to be even murkier. It's, it's, it's really just evolved to become a label I mean, someone is a Christian like they are an American or, or like they're an African. It's, it's, it's pretty broad, isn't it? I mean, think about labels. Think about labels. You probably have um, boxes in your house that have labels on them, right? Either, either in your garage or maybe in your basement. And they have labels on them like Christmas or grandma's room or graduation. And, and they're pretty vague, well, let me tell you about a box in my house that has a label on it. And the label on the box is BJ's Childhood. So here's the story. Uh, after I graduated from high school, um, that fall, apparently my parents decided to put my childhood into a box and uh, called me and said, hey, when you're home at Thanksgiving, uh, you need to get your childhood. We put it in the, in the garage, okay? And so my childhood's in this, this old dusty blue tote. It's in the garage. So I come home and uh, that weekend during Thanksgiving, I pick my childhood up and I put it in the back of the car and my childhood rode in the trunk with me back out here to Illinois where it has resided since. What is even in that box? BJ's childhood? I mean, is, is there a pacifier in there? Uh, you know, are there some merit badges or, or maybe that Frisbee that hit me in the nose? Is, is it newspaper clippings or maybe a graduation hat? Labels can be vague, even at times misleading. You know, I, I, I would say that's the same with, with the label Christian. It, it can be pretty vague. You know, I like the way that Pastor Andy Stanley puts it. He says, we can define and redefine the term Christian until we're all just fine. Until our faith works well for us until the boundaries are, are where we want them to be, until we are comfortable. The term Christian might be difficult to define, but Jesus follower, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's pretty, pretty easy to define because it describes a clear action, someone who follows Jesus. Now, just for the record, 
just for the record, I'm not saying that we need to change the name of our church. I'm not saying we need to get rid of the, the label Christian. We don't need to change our name to First Church. Or we don't, we don't need to go out and track down all of the newsletters and business cards and have like this big bonfire in the parking lot. We don't need to do away with the name Christian. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we have an opportunity to define it. We have an opportunity to define Christian for the people around us. We will define it by the way that we live, by our actions, by, by what we are willing to do, by what we are willing to stand for, by what we are willing to give up. Because to become a Christian, to be a Christian will cost you almost nothing. But to be a follower of Jesus, that will cost you everything. That will cost you everything. So let's look at the Bible. Let's, let's look and see what the Bible says, specifically what Jesus says about being one of his followers. And so as I said, we're gonna be in uh, Matthew chapter 10, uh, but, but I wanna just give you a, little, a quick snapshot of the story leading up to Matthew chapter 10. So in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, we read that he went up on the side of a mountain and he gave what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus begins speaking and teaching and people are drawn to what he's saying. I mean, people are getting excited because Jesus is turning the whole world, society upside down. He said things like, you know what, for all of you who are overlooked, you are blessed because you matter to God. Jesus said the way that you live matters, so let your light shine to those who are around you. He said, instead of hating your enemies, when, when someone is, is mean to you, don't get revenge, don't hate your enemies, love them. Love your enemies. He said, be generous, help people. And when, when you do something good, when, when, when you worship or when you pray, when you give something to someone else, when, when you're generous, do it for the right reasons because God knows your heart. And so people love Jesus' teaching. They, they loved it. I mean, it says in, in scripture that, that, that people were drawn to Jesus. They said, this man it teaches with, with great authority. The, the crowds were amazed. Man, Jesus, you're an amazing teacher. And so we, we, we go on and we read that when Jesus came down off of the mountain, that the crowds followed him. And we're talking thousands of people. The Decatur celebration was following Jesus down off of the mountain. It's just this huge party. Jesus is there right in the middle. Everybody's excited. He's popular. And then suddenly, right in the midst of the whole, pa uh, the whole party, right in the midst of it, suddenly the crowd kind of parts and, and they go to two sides. And here comes a man with leprosy. And so everybody just freezes. Oh man, that guy has leprosy. I wonder what, what's Jesus gonna do? And everybody's on the edge of their seat. They can't wait to see what's gonna happen next. And then right in front of everyone, Jesus heals the guy and the crowd goes wild. They're like, man, not only is this guy a great teacher, but he is also, he's, he's someone special. He just healed that guy. I mean, people are so excited about Jesus and his winning streak continues. Jesus calmed a storm, that's cool. Jesus raised the little girl from the dead. I mean, how heartwarming is that? That probably went into immediate production for the Hallmark Channel. I mean, people, oh, so, so cute, so heartwarming. And then in, in Luke's account, we see that, that Jesus was teaching once again. People are starting to get hungry, and he says, hey, guys, watch this. He grabs a couple loaves of bread, a couple fish. He multiplies them and feeds everyone. Everybody got something to eat that day. I mean, no wonder everyone loved Jesus. 
Think about it. They were getting great teaching. They were getting free health care. And all you can eat fish and chips. I mean, who could turn that down? Everybody loved Jesus. Everybody loves him. He's topping the charts. Jesus is winning friends and influencing people. And then right in the midst of all of it, everybody's waiting to see what's going to happen next. And Jesus says this with everybody listening. He says, listen up. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And it's like, did you say cross? Did you say take up your cross? And then he continues in, in verse 39. That was, that was Matthew uh, 10, 38. He says, yeah, whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus says, you have to take up your cross. You have to lose your life. And suddenly his likes go way, way down. Jesus is no longer the life of the party. He's no longer popular anymore. Because he said, you have to carry your cross. What, what did Jesus mean? What, what does he mean, carry your cross? What, what does he mean, lose your life? Well, for the people living in that day, they would have known what he meant. Because when they saw somebody walking through the streets of Jerusalem, carrying a cross, they knew that guy's going to die. That person's dead. It would be like if in today's language, if Jesus said, you need to take up your lethal injection. You, you, you need to carry your electric chair. It meant death, game over. You lose. You know, I, I, I like the way that Andy Stanley puts it. Not Andy Stanley, Eugene Peterson. They're both, they're both good guys. But Eugene Peterson in his, in his message translation says this. He says, don't think that I've come to make life cozy. If you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, then you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, then you will never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you will find both yourself and me. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to give up your life. So here's, here's a way that we can think about it. This glass represents our lives. This is who we are. And naturally, all of us are full of ourselves, aren't we? We, we are naturally selfish. At the root of who we are and rebellion against God, we want to place ourselves in the, in the center of worship instead of God. That's what Adam and Eve did. When they took the fruit, that's what we've been doing ever since then, is we have been putting ourselves at the center. We want to serve ourselves. We want to worship ourselves. And so what do we do? We naturally fill ourselves with self. And for me, and I know that this looks different for different people, uh, we all have different temptations and, and sins that draw us in, but for me, the self that I want to pour in is in the form of pride, because I like to be the best. I like to win. I like to look good. I like to get things done. And so the more self I pour in, the more that I accomplish, the better I get, the more people compliment me, the better I look in front of everyone. I want to be filled to the very top with me, 
with selfish pride. But the problem is, like all of us, we all fall short. We, we fail. We can't always be the best. Somebody else somewhere uh, accomplishes more than we do, or, or, or they do something better than we did, or, or they have a nicer house, or a nicer vehicle, or a better job, or more money, or, or, or a better family, whatever. Whatever it is, somebody else beats us at our own game. And so when that happens to me, in my selfishness, when I am filled with self, what do I do? I start looking around. I start comparing myself to other people. I start saying, oh man, why can't I do better? Why, why can't I beat that person? And so in the midst of that selfishness and, and, and that envy, that resentment, bitterness builds. I become bitter, bitter at that person because of what they have or because of what they've done. And that bitterness soon turns into anger. And so I become angry. And like all of us, I can't control my anger. I can't control my bitterness. And so it starts to shake out. It starts to spill out on the people who are around me, my family, my friends. It's toxic. It pours out on, on, on my wife and, and my kids and the people that I work with, the people who I'm closest to. I push myself away in anger and in bitterness. And our natural desire is to reach for more self, isn't it? To fill ourselves back up. But it's in that moment that God says, stop. I didn't create you for cycles of selfishness. I didn't create you to be filled with yourself. I created you for life. And remember what Jesus said. He said, whoever finds his life, whoever fills himself up with self will lose his life. But whoever loses himself, whoever loses his life, whoever is willing to empty himself out, to pour himself out in confession, in humility, will find his life. Because it is when we empty ourselves of ourselves that God is faithful. God fills us with life. What does he fill us with? He fills us with love. He fills us with, with his love, with his peace, with, with joy, with, with forgiveness, with compassion. When we are willing to pour ourselves out and decrease, he is faithful to increase in us. We must decrease so that he can increase. And when God is filled us with his love, when he has filled us with, with compassion and grace, we can pour that into the lives of other people. We can pour that love and compassion and grace into the dry and thirsty souls of the people who are around us. We are no longer toxic. When I am filled by God, I can pour life into my children and into my coworkers. I can, I can pour life and joy into my marriage. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the reality is, you know what? We can be filled with self. We can fill ourselves up and still say, but I'm a Christian. We can, when, when you're selfish, you can call yourself whatever you want. But a follower of Jesus, they're not defined by what they call themselves. They are defined by what they do. By what they do. They pour themselves out. They are filled by God. And then it is out of that filling 
that they can pour themselves out again into the lives of those people around them. And God is always faithful to fill them again. You know, the apostle Paul was, he was living this out. He was living this out in in his letter to the Galatians where he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I am being filled with Christ. In, In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I die daily. Every day I pour myself out so that I can be filled with God so that I can pour myself out again the next day. This isn't just believing some truths. This isn't, this isn't just a label. It's not just head knowledge. I think for, for so many of us, we are surrounded in our culture and our society by information. I mean, think about it. You can, you can access sermons from, from this church back for like 10 years or, or further, you can, you can have a buffet of sermons and Bible studies and, and, and you can read Christian books and you can read the Bible. Think about how many translations we have at our disposal. We can read and we can learn. We can have knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge. But it can't just be knowledge. It can't just be belief. It has to move from here, from our head, to our heart. So that it can, can influence our actions. It can influence how we live every day. Because when it makes that 18-inch journey from our head down to our heart, it moves from belief to conviction and commitment. And it moves from our heart out to our hands, which which allow us to do ministry. It moves to, to our mouth so that we can speak life, so that we can speak hope into the lives of those people around us. It moves to our feet, which take us into situations where, where, where we, can, we can bring the good news. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. When it moves from our head down to our heart, out to, to the other parts of our body, that's when it makes a difference. Now, that journey for me is about, um, you know, total, about six feet, three inches. As I look around the room, there's a few people taller than me, but, you know, for most of you, it's, it's a little bit less than that. But I need to tell you, it's not a far journey, but it is a difficult one. It is a difficult journey to move that from our heads down to our hearts and then out to our, uh, the rest of our bodies. You know, parents, uh, maybe you've had this experience or maybe you haven't because your kids are perfect, but my kids are not. And so I would say at least once a week, I will walk into our living room where my kids are watching TV and I'll, I'll make an announcement. Hey guys, we are leaving in three minutes. The van is pulling out of the driveway in three minutes. And I, I feel like I work at like a, like a train station or something. I'm like, three minutes. So there's only four kids, but it's like, three minutes, three minutes. We're leaving in three minutes. As I'm saying this, my kids aren't moving a muscle. Their eyes aren't even moving. They're just zoned in. You see, it's, it's, it's one thing for my kids to hear that we're leaving in three minutes even for them to believe that we're leaving in three minutes, it's something completely different to act in the reality that we're leaving in three minutes and doing things like turning off the TV and putting on shoes and getting out their jackets and and getting in the van. Action makes all the difference. Action makes all the difference. So we have to ask ourselves, are we actively following Jesus or are we just believing in him? You know, I like, I like uh, in James, because in, in the book of James, he's so straightforward. And he says, you know what? You believe in Jesus, good for you. So do the demons. The demons believe in Jesus. 
He goes on and he says, our faith has to move into action. Faith without deeds is dead. He says, belief without action is dead. It has to make a difference. There has to be action. I, I, I think about when, when Jesus went out on the beach and he called his first disciples. We, we read about this in Matthew chapter four where he calls out to the, these guys who are fishing and says, hey guys, come and follow me. Notice he didn't say, believe in me. They could have just stayed in the boat and kept fishing and believed in him. Been like, yep, I believe in Jesus. Let's go catch more fish. He said, no, come and follow me. It was an action, and that's exactly what they did. They came in, they left everything in order to follow Jesus. It wasn't just a label, it was a life. Their lives changed completely. And for all of us who are followers of Jesus, our lives should look different. So here's my Here's my heart, or, or, or as the, uh, the sermon series title suggests, here's the overflow of my life. I have a dream of one day coming to the end of my life here on earth, the end of my years, um, and sitting down with Mary and uh, looking back on decades of, of life and, and ministry and uh, raising kids, looking back at our marriage and saying, you know what? We did it. We did it. We, we poured out our lives. We, we carried our crosses, and it was worth it. I want to be able to look back and say, it was worth it. And I'm sure as we're, as we're sitting there, we're, we're going to look back on different seasons of, of, our, of our lives together, and we're going to say, man, but it was difficult, wasn't it? There was, there was some difficult seasons and some difficult challenges. I, I'm imagining us looking back and saying, hey, do you remember when we prayed and then God said, hey, I want you to move. Do you remember how crazy that was? I mean, do you remember how much stuff we had to throw away because we were moving to a smaller house with more kids? Or, or, or do you remember when right in the midst of, of like our busiest season, we felt like God was saying, hey, add some more kids to your family. Bring, bring some other kids in and just add to the chaos. Or we'll, we'll look back at other seasons and say, hey, do you, remember, do you remember when we went and did that? Do you remember how many people told us we were crazy? Or, or do you remember how expensive that was? Do you remember how much that disrupted the, the natural flow of our lives? Man, it was difficult, but it was worth it. Now, I need to stand here and, and be honest with all of you and say that there are seasons and times of my life that I'm ashamed of. Times when I was selfish. Times when I, when I wimped out. When God said, I want you to pour your life out. And I said, no, God, I want to be filled with me. Times when I, when I said, God, I'm driving, you have to ride uh, shotgun. I'm, we're going to go where I want to go. I'm ashamed of those times. I wonder what God would have done through me if I had been faithful. But for the times that I have poured myself out, for the times that, that, that my family and I have gone where God called us to go, I wouldn't trade those for anything. God has been amazingly faithful. He has filled us in ways that I never, ever thought he would. I mean, I had to get a new passport because I ran out of pages in my first one. God has opened up doors for my family and I to travel all around the world to, to have experiences 
that are amazing, to, to see people come to faith for the very first time, to, to be able to preach the message of Jesus to people who have literally never, ever heard it in their lives. Man, living in the block is, it is difficult, but let me tell you, it's worth it. It is worth it. The things that God calls us to are worth it. And so when I come to the end of my life, I wanna be able to say, it was worth it. I wanna be able to say, I aimed at the right goal. And that's my prayer for all of you as well. Is that as you live, that you would do the difficult things, the humble actions of following Jesus. You know, Jesus said, narrow is the path and narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And so, you're probably asking, so how do, how, how do I do this practically? What, what does it practically look like for me to pour myself out and to follow Jesus? Is, is there one specific action that I can do? And the answer is no. <laughs> there, there's no one thing. There's no one thing you can do to check the box and, okay, I did that, let's move on. Because following Jesus, pouring ourselves out, is, is a daily task. It's, it, it's a lifestyle. But a great way to start that, a great way to move from head to heart to action is through prayer. To cry out to God and say, God, show me how to empty myself. Show me what actions I can take in following you. And so we have an opportunity as a community, as, as a body of believers to do that this afternoon. This afternoon at 3.30, we're gonna be gathering in places all over the community to pray this prayer for our community. Yes, we're gonna pray that people come to know Christ, but the heart of our prayer is gonna be, God, use us to reach people. Because there are thousands of people in our community who are aiming at the wrong goal. People, people who are far from you, God, use us however you see fit. We will sacrifice ourselves in whatever way we can to serve you, to honor you. And so I would encourage you, join us at one of those locations around the city as we pray. But even today, even this morning, before we leave the room, I wanna give us all an opportunity, me included, to pray, Lord, Help me to empty myself. Help me to empty myself. And so I'm gonna give you a couple moments of silence and then I will uh, close in prayer for us. Let's pray. humble posture of submission and pour ourselves out. Lord, show us how we can do that. Show us how we can pour out our pride, our selfishness, our, our, our vain conceit. Lord, show us how we can pour that out. Lord, it's not about us, it's about you. 
And Lord, we pray that, that as we empty ourselves, God, that you would be faithful to fill us. We know that you will be. Lord, fill us with your love for people. Fill us with, with compassion. God, help us to move from just beliefs. Help us to move to actions. God, we don't just, we don't just wanna believe the right things. God, we, we don't just wanna believe that, that, that all people are created in your image, that they have value. Lord, we wanna live that out in, in the way that we live. In, in our actions. God, we, we don't just want to believe in the power of prayer. Lord, we want to pray faithfully and humbly knowing that you are going to do something great. God, we want to expect you to show up. Lord, we, 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 don't, we don't just want to believe in, in generosity and compassion and forgiveness. God, we want to live it out. We don't just want to believe in the commission to go and make disciples. God, we want to go and make disciples. Lord, use us as you see fit for your glory. And God, as you fill us up, Lord, may we experience, as your word says, life and life to the fullest. May we experience a joy and a peace and a purpose that surpasses any other earthly understanding that we could have. Lord, fill us. Fill us and use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for some of you, maybe um, just now as you prayed, you prayed that prayer. God, empty me. You prayed that prayer. Jesus, I want to follow you uh, for the first time. And so if, if that's the case... We want to be able to walk along with you in your journey of faith. We want to celebrate with you. That is a big decision to say, Jesus, it's not about me anymore. It's all about you. And so um, if you're here in the West Auditorium, I would love to meet you uh, down at the front after the service is over and encourage you and, 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 and celebrate with you. Or, or if you're in the East Auditorium, uh, find somebody at the front of the room. Or, or even if you're worshiping with us online, uh, you can text the word Jesus to the number behind me. We want to join you in this journey of faith as we follow Jesus together.